Acts chapter 13 tonight, please. Acts chapter 13, and we're going to look at the first two verses there. The missions direction messages begin, I believe, tonight, and then we'll have something for you each night. I believe that will help us with our thoughts, our mind about missions. Acts chapter 13, please, and we're going to look at the first two verses there. Thank you for your kindnesses to, uh, to my wife and I, the nice motel room, the gift basket, and uh, just all the con- just to be- allow me to bring my wife. If she comes with me, I always behave myself, I do better. And so I appreciate that. I appreciate um, your pastor and his dear wife. I've known, uh, I've known the both of them for many years. Of course, they were students at the college and then on staff there at the college getting to know them and Joanna. Of course, uh, I've known her and her family for quite some time, actually. And just to be here, you know, I know you don't know this, but if you spend any time up in the north, you know how nice it is to be down here. Um, <laughs> now, not all Yankees are not nice or kind, but most are. And you know, up north, you take, you walk by somebody on the street and say, how you doing? They stop and want to know what you want. You're trying to borrow some money from them or something like that. Down here, you'd be standing in line at Piggly Wiggly and turn around and say hello, and they'll, you'll get into somebody's life in about two seconds. So, well, I'm fine. You know my aunt, and then all of a sudden, whoop, it's over, and uh, they'll, they'll tell you everything about their life, their family, and everything that goes on, and uh, I appreciate that very much. I appreciate the kindness and the good spirit of this place. Now, I'm going to get right into it. I'm going to preach as short as possible tonight, as quick as possible, no matter how long it takes me. Acts chapter 13. <laughs> I don't, I don't preach long. I, I believe in the three S's of preaching, stand up, speak up, and shut up. And so we'll get right into it tonight. Verse 1, if you are able with me, and would you stand tonight? If you're not, please be seated. That's not a problem. If you want to move around, I can hit a moving target as well as I can when sitting still. So it's not a problem. Acts 13 and verse 1. Now there was in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, church, read the last two words of that verse with me. Ready? Read. And Saul. You know who that is, don't you? Well, that, that's going to be the Apostle Paul. And he'll give 37 years of ministry to God. Two-thirds of your New Testament, God used him to pin that. See, here's the thing. He... he the Apostle Paul, some people say he's the greatest Christian to ever lived. I don't think that's fair because all Christians haven't lived yet. But if you had a list, he'd be on it. You do realize that the Apostle Paul, starting churches around that Mediterranean crescent, that then crossed over and went to Spain and Wales and then got on a Mayflower, came to America. You do realize, dear people, that the person who led you to Christ was probably led to Christ by the person who was led to Christ by somebody the Apostle Paul led to Christ. So he has, he has touched your life. But here in verse 1 of Acts 13, he's in the church that's Antioch. He's not the Apostle Paul. He's in Saul. And no, notice something. He's on the end of the list, not the top. You know what he is right here, folks? He's a layman in a church. Now from here... He'll go on to become and be the Apostle Paul greatly used in his life. And I was reading that one day and I thought to myself, well, how do you build a Saul into a Paul? You know, missions is not as complicated as people might think. Look here. 
comes down to a couple of basic principles. Message, money, manpower. That's what it comes down to. And here's, here's maybe one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived. But now listen, before he becomes that, he's Saul in a church here. And so it's almost like a, an, an appendix. And there's this guy, that guy, this guy, the guy. Oh, yeah, and then there's this guy, Saul. How do you build a Paul? That's just as much missions-minded missions and missions work as you can think of. Because here's the thing, folks. We don't, Victory Baptist Church has been around for quite a while. You have established something here. God is doing a work in this place. But it may well be that this church will build the next Apostle Paul. Maybe he walked right across here going to Pastor's Pals. Maybe he's in the nursery. Maybe he's one of these teenagers who everybody thinks is stupid. And you're not. So don't go get counseling and shock treatments, okay? You're going to be all right. But look here, if nobody knows our name, but we have a part in building somebody like the Apostle Paul, that would be good. Would you be okay with that? So how do you build a Paul? And Saul. Father, bless tonight. Please, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Now, I'm going to count tonight on your knowledge of the background of this man's life and the people who affected and touched him. So what I mean by that is I'm not going to have you chase all the scriptures, but I think you'll recognize it. Because here's the thing. He didn't become the Apostle Paul on his own. He did not. And I look around and see the gray heads in this church. I realized this place was built on those people's shoulders. Today in society, youth is the big thing. Everything has to be young. Our, a lot of churches are going that route. You know, the, everybody on the platform's got to have a you know, goatee and a tight pair of britches and a hairdo. They got a jiffy lube and all that kind of stuff. And then, they, it, 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 you know, they got to wear them skinny jeans that look like two burnt toothpicks sticking out of a baked potato. And everything's got, everything's got to look young because everything has to be young. We're, we're, we're neglecting the fact that those people have what they have because somebody else built what they have. This idea, dear people, that this man became the Apostle Paul because all of a sudden, look, his conversion experience is amazing. Riding the Damascus road on the way to Syria, uh, 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 the Damascus road on the way to Syria there to Damascus with letters of death in his hand to kill Christians and God hits him with a light and he falls off the high horse of his religion and meets Jesus out there on that Damascus road. Well, that, that's quite amazing. That was his salvation experience, no question. But listen, this is the church in Antioch, a whole different place. This is a man who's sitting in a church just like you are, and God began to do work in his life, but he didn't become the apostle Paul. We don't know what his church was. His, he didn't go to Bible college. He didn't have seminary training. Met a preacher years ago, been a pastor over 50 years, and never went to Bible college. And somebody asked him, they said, uh, well, did you ever go to Bible college? He said, no, I ain't been messed with. I, you know, I, I understand that. And, 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 and I think Bible college is a good thing. It's training. It's protection. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. We don't know where. i tell you what he did. This man right here went from Saul to Paul because of the people who influenced his life. Now, we're all smart enough to figure out you didn't get here on your own either. Somebody's influenced you, a bunch of somebodies if you think about it. And so, so what made this man into Paul? How do you build a Paul? Okay, let's, let's recount some of these folks. First of all, there's the man named Stephen. 
Now, Stephen was a deacon in a church. Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. And Stephen, was, uh, he was called before the council. He had to stand before this council and defend his faith and what he believed. A layman, a deacon. And we know that Stephen was taken out of that council meeting and was stoned to death. And the Bible tells us that they laid their coats, their garments at the feet of a man named Saul, him. Now, if you know your background at all, you know that in the Sanhedrin, when someone was brought before them for examination of their faith, the person who defended the Sanhedrin and that part of their belief, if he won the argument and the person was taken out and stoned to death, they put the coats at his feet. Saul, Saul prosecuted Stephen, the deacon, and saw his death. He stood there and watched them take stones and stone this man to death. And the Bible tells us that while Stephen was giving his testimony and, and preaching, as it were, to this council of uh, so-called highly educated religious people, that the Bible said they couldn't resist the spirit by which he spake. And in Acts chapter 6, that word spirit's a lowercase s which doesn't refer to the Holy Spirit. It refers to Stephen's spirit. And Saul saw this. Even though he wanted him dead, even though he went from that meeting and went around killing Christians and the Bible said hailing them, which means he kicked doors down, drug men and women out, and they were, they were martyred for their faith. And then he's on the way to Damascus, letters of death in his hand. This guy looks like, <laughs> Saul looks like a killer of Christians. Everybody knew him. All the Christians knew who he was. And he looks like a man who's got nothing but hatred and anti-Christianity in his thinking. And when the light of God shines upon this man Saul and he falls down off his high horse and he looks up into that light, he said, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That was a stick with a point on it that they used to poke animals to get them to go one direction or the other. And wait, basically what Jesus said to him was this, You're under conviction, aren't you? You know why he was under conviction? Because the godly layman stood up and with the right kind of stand and the right spirit about that stand brought conviction to a man who eventually became one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. Wow. Now look at me tonight, ladies and gentlemen. You know how you build a Paul? You have the right stand and the right spirit. Yeah. We shouldn't have to trade those two, by the way. Look here, we're independent, fundamental, soul, when it's separated, King James, Bible, preacher, hellfire, damnation, premillennial, pre-tribulation, temperamental Baptist, right? Amen. Big B Baptist. Big King James Bible Baptist. Amen. We got all our convictions, beliefs, we cross all the T's and we dot all the I's, and that's good. It's biblical. People say, well, you Baptists, you believe this, you Baptists, you believe that. No, we believe the Bible. You got a problem with that, then you got a problem with the Bible. We're supposed to take our stand for Jesus Christ. We're supposed to take a stand on the Word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, God's people need to learn to develop convictions. Now, you know what a conviction is? A conviction is a belief or a practice that's based on the Bible that never changes. Doesn't change no matter what the weather is. Doesn't change no matter where you're at. Doesn't change whether you're on vacation or not. Doesn't change because your in-laws show up. You know the difference between in-laws and outlaws. Outlaws are wanted. Think about it. The, the, the truth is, doesn't make a difference whether it's Christmas, Thanksgiving, party at the church, party at the office. 
Doesn't make a difference whether you're at a ball game. Look at me. Convictions are what you believe wherever you go, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. You say, yeah, but Pastor Johnson, it's hot outside. That doesn't got anything to do with it. A conviction is a belief or a practice based on the Bible that never, never, never changes. Now, that's what we need. That's our stand. By the way, and that works for when you're young, it works for when you're old, it works for when your kids are children, and it works for when they turn into teenagers and they get stupid, and it works for later on in life, it doesn't change. Look here, convictions don't ever change. Our stand needs to be clear. We need to do that. And this guy saw, saw this in Stephen's. Stephen is, uh, Stephen is standing in front of a council of highly educated, very religious people, and he tells them what he believes and what they should believe too. Our stand. Don't apologize for what we are because we ain't got nothing to apologize about. However, what's wrong with having a right spirit about it? Somewhere between this is what we believe and this is where we stand and up your nose with a rubber hose, Jack. Somewhere between those two is where we're supposed to be. Are you with me? Now, we live in a world, you probably figured this out, we live in a world that doesn't necessarily understand why we're independent, fundamental, soul, one, and separated, King James, Bible preaching, hellfire, and damnation, premillennial, pre-tribulation, temperamental, baptist. Right? So, our responsibility is to take our King James Bible and hit him over the head with it. I saw it with a guy one day, one of our men, and this, we knocked on doors, and this lady says, well, I'm, I'm a Catholic. And he goes, that's okay, lady. You can get right about that, too. And I, man, <laughs> consequently, we didn't get very far. Uh, and, I thought, and we walked away. I said, brother, don't do that. You don't use pulpit tactics in personal dealings with people. I used to work, when I was in Bible college, I used to work. <laughs> I don't anymore. I'm in the ministry now. <laughs> I just show up on Sunday and take the rest of the week off and play golf, amen? <laughs> I used to work in a lunch meat factory. Let me finish the sentence, would you? I used to work in a lunch meat factory in South Chicago. Now, let me help you with something. Do not, under any terms, eat packaged lunch meat. I made it. Mm-mm. You go to the deli and they pull a hunk of something out and they slice that off, you can eat that. Packaged lunch meat, mm-mm. When it says all chicken, it's all in there. <laughs> you open that bag and it clucks. I mean, everything's in that bag. All we did was take these great big old chickens look like turkeys and took the feathers off of them, the feet and the head. That was it. Threw it in a hopper and ground it up into paste, shot it into tubes and cooked it and sliced it. That was packaged lunch meat. Do not eat packaged <laughs> lunch meat. I'm just trying to keep you alive, that's all. <laughs> We're working in this, I'm working in this lunch meat factory. I found out right away on this shift of 300 people, I was the only Christian. You say, how'd you find out? I asked people. Yeah. I don't witness on the boss's nickel. You shouldn't either. But you still got breaks and lunchtime and stuff after work for a moment. I, I asked people, are you a Christian? Well, I don't know what the world's all about. This is up in Yankee land. So, you know, there's not a lot of saved people up there. And, and so I, I, I found out right away, I'm the only Christian in the place. And then I'm thinking, well... Why in the world would God put me in a place like this where I'm the only Christian? Now, if you think about it for a moment, that's kind of a dumb question. That's why we got flat foreheads. 
Duh. Well, I'm there to make Christians. But I found out right away they'd make fun of me. They used to call me. Hold on a second. They used to call me the preacher. Well, that's what I was. I was going to Bible college. Hey, preacher. They thought I was making fun of me. They was like, hey, white guy. I mean, you know, okay, yeah, yeah. And they thought they were making fun of me for, you know, calling me the preacher. And they did all kinds of crazy stuff, mess with me, talk about me, and that kind of stuff. I never let them be disrespectful, especially toward God. But I just went to work and did my job. Now, I'll cut it short tonight, but simply tell you this. There are people there after I worked about two and a half through almost three years. There are people that I worked with when I graduated from Bible college, came to my graduation. I led several of those people to Christ. It wasn't too long after I worked there that people would come up to me and they'd say, Preacher, could I talk to you at lunchtime? I'd say, yeah, what you got, man? And, and I'm, I'm a freshman in Bible college. And this guy's going, hey, preacher, my wife and I are having troubles. What can we do? And I go, well, go ahead. How can I help you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I ain't had counseling yet, man. I don't know what to tell this guy. <laughs> Lord, don't let me mess this man up. I don't know. I'd go visit him in the hospital. I started pastoring the Land of Frost Lunch Meat Baptist Church. <laughs> A bunch of them were women that worked on the shift, and I was working on the one of them. I was a maintenance mechanic on one of the lines, and I was working on some of the equipment, and a couple of ladies were watching, were standing around while I was fixing it, and this one lady goes, hey, preacher, hey, preacher, what's the seventh commandment? How many know what the seventh commandment is? Right off the top of your head. I have no idea. I looked at her, and I said, I don't know, but it's something you can't do. That's safe. I'm working in, the, in, the, in the, one of the rooms. They had several rooms. They cooked the meat, so those rooms were super hot. Then they packaged it. They were super cold. Now, they did that to keep the germs off the meat, but they couldn't have lived on that meat anyway, so I don't know what the deal was. But I'm working in this really cold room on a big piece of machinery. We'll get a big old wrench like this and a, right by a big block wall, and I'm trying to break this big nut loose on this machinery, and I got a couple of my guys I'm working with there uh, um, that, 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 that are underneath the machine, and I'm breaking this thing loose, and finally I broke it loose, and what I did, I just drove my fist into the wall. In this cold room, oh, man, did that hurt. Ah. And I just went, mm-hmm. I looked down, and these guys are looking at me. <laughs> so one guy goes, you going you gonna to cuss, preacher? I said, no, you write one down, I'll sign it, though. Man, the cotton picking, that hurt. <laughs> oh. But look here, look at me. I didn't tailgate with them. Most of the time, I wound up sitting in a different room because they'd sit around the table, tell dirty jokes, talk about filthy things, fooling around with the women in that plant and that kind of stuff, huh? But I didn't go in there and say, ladies and gentlemen, I am here. No kneeling. I didn't walk on water polos in the parking lot. I just went to work and did my job. I kept the right spirit, but I didn't compromise on what I believed. See, we got too many Christians today think you got to win people to yourself before you can win them to Jesus. Wrong. That's not how it works. You can have a right stand and a right spirit with a little wisdom, but for goodness sakes, don't dip your sails. But for goodness sakes, don't be a jerk about it. We can have 
both Stephen did, and he started the process that made a Paul out of that man right there. Stephen, uh, number two, you know who else influenced his life was Ananias. After Saul gets down off a high horse of his religion there on the dirt of the Damascus road, he goes into the city of Damascus. About four years ago, five years ago, we were in Syria, and we went to Damascus in that city, beautiful old city. Today, it's rubble. They have just destroyed it in warts. It's sad. But I mean, it's an incredibly beautiful old city. And we went there because I wanted to go to the street called Straight. And we're with a missionary man, a Lebanese pastor, actually. He went with us. <laughs> he told us, now, he said, you're going into Syria from Lebanon. You're going to Syria. Now, he said, that place is really, I mean, the Muslims really got it run down tight there. So you're not going to be able to witness and hand out tracts. It would get us in big trouble. So just, you know, we're going to go over there and kind of look around a little bit and get out of there. I said, okay, fine. He shows up the next morning. This Lebanese pastor got a black T-shirt on with big white letters on it. It says, got Jesus? And below that it said, it's hell without him. And I thought, hey, what's that? And he goes, no, you guys will get in trouble. I'll be fine. I will just go over there and talk to whoever I want to. Couldn't believe this guy. <laughs> so we're walking around Damascus trying to find the street called Straight. And it's like an old European type city with real narrow little lanes where people live. And it's so narrow you could just about reach across and touch the walls of the houses. And they're all real like this, all crooked. And we're walking for hours. Asking people, where's the street called Straight? Well, there's no street signs or any of that kind of stuff. Finally, they kept telling us, oh, go down there, oh, go down there, oh, go down there. And I keep thinking, they're going to shoot us. And finally, we're walking along, and we turn, and there's this one road. Boom, straight as could be. And it's the street called Straight. And there was a Walmart there and a Starbucks. And, oh, there no, there wasn't. And, 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 and I... And so we walked down there, and there was Ananias' house. Now, a lot of that stuff over there, people, is just tourist junk. You know, I, I don't know if it's really his place or not, but I know it was the only straight street we ever found in Damascus. And that's where Saul would go. He's blinded. God comes to a man, a layman again, named Ananias, and says, I want you to go and lay hands on Saul and pray for him. And then, here's, what, here's Ananias' message. God tells him, Tell him how great things he's going to suffer for me. Mr. Positive. Joe Olstein, Mr. Positive. Greasy boy. See, preacher, you said have a good spirit. Not about him. You know, the truth of the matter is, it, it's amazing. But, and Ananias, when he says, Saul, Saul, the Christian killer, Saul. You want me to go talk to the Christian killer, Saul? The guy who kills Christian, Saul. And God says, yes, go tell him what I told you to tell him. Now, people, listen to me. Ananias took Saul, intense Bible study, taught him Greek and Hebrew. No, he didn't. He just said, yes, sir. Look here. He stepped outside of his comfort zone and just touched that man's life. He walked in, laid hands on him, prayed for him, and walked out. Mm. You know what's happening to us today, don't you? We're losing personal contact. Everything now is electronic stuff. Texting, all that kind of stuff. We're losing personal contact. We're losing that part. Look at me. We're, looking, we're losing that part where we get outside of our little comfort zone and actually get involved in a person's life. You say, well, I ain't got time for that. Okay, I, 
maybe you don't have that all the time that you think you have, though frankly you do. You probably watch a lot of television. You probably spend hours upon. Have you ever logged the amount of time you spend in front of an electronic screen of any kind, whether it's your watch, a tablet, your phone, a, 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 a laptop, have you, a television set? Have you ever logged your time and compared that to the amount of time you actually spend helping somebody do something for somebody, help, a, help somebody? Have you ever logged your time on that? It'll shock you how much time you spend on that. Everything's texting now. And I text, you text, all God's children text. But that's not personal enough contact. I first learned to text just a couple years ago, as a matter of fact. I didn't know you're supposed to have texties. Everything's abbreviated now. Uh, how's my BFF and TMI, your BVD, your HIVs, and all that kind of, I didn't know that kind of stuff. So I'm texting my good friend, Pastor Mike Ray. So I got, got my first text. Dear brother, I'm spelling everything out with punctuation. Dear Brother Ray, this is Brother Johnson. I wanted you to know how much I love you, appreciate you, pray for you, how much America needs you. And Hopewell Baptist in Napa, what a great man of God you are. You're my dear friend. I love you and appreciate you more than you can say. And I just wanted you to know that. And I was thinking about you today. All spelled out, punctuation actually had periods in there, commas where they were necessary. <laughs> You're a good friend, Brother Johnson. Boop, I send it to him. It comes back to me. I look at it. You too. <laughs> the letter U and the number two. <laughs> I thought that was an Irish rock band. You should know who that is. Aha! Gotcha. The truth of the matter. And now, when life is tough, and I can't go on. When the midnight is dark and the valley is deep. And the battle rages. I pull that, that quick text up. You too. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Ridiculous. That's personal contact now? Look at, look at How many times have you ever said, I talked to so-and-so, and you never said a word to them? You just text them. And then there's the almighty gifts. All those little pictures and stuff, those are fantastic. I have more fun with those gifts. I'll spend 10 minutes trying to find the right gift to send to somebody. It's ridiculous. But they're hilarious. Well, I encourage my friend today. You sent him a picture of a fat guy on a trampoline. That didn't help anybody. But it was funny. First of all, don't make fun of fat people. We're healthy. Ask you a question. You, whose life have you touched? And when was the last time? Hey, when was the last time you risked anything? I'm not talking about risking your life. Maybe that may be the case someday. How about just risking something? Where you got? Look here. Look here. You got to go out of your way. You got to get out of your little comfort zone to go try to help somebody else with something. And I'm not talking about Boy Scouts and the Eagles and the Moose and the Turkeys and the Chickens and all these other clubs. I'm talking about your church, your local New Testament church. When was the last? See, Ananias, look here. All he did was just lay hands on him and said, Brother Saul, God has sent me to tell you that you're going to receive your sight and be a missionary and a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whoop, turned on his heel and walked out of that place. Then there's Barnabas. He's in this list here in Acts chapter 13. 
when Saul goes to Jerusalem and wants to get in the church, <laughs> everyone's saying, uh, not him. This is some subversive act. He's a terrorist. Remember, a bullet a day keeps the terrorists away. Just That's a truthful point. The truth of the matter is... <laughs> But I said it with a good spirit. That the truth is, <laughs> nobody wants him in the church because the guy's a Christian killer. But Barnabas had heard Saul give his testimony and preach. And Barnabas brought that guy, Saul, to the church. Because you see, you can't do it on your own. You need a good local New Testament church behind who you are and what you are. Barnabas knew that. Hey, Oh, he's a layman too. And he brings him into the church. Amen. And he says, no, this is a good man. I've heard him. God's used this guy. There's something, God did something in his life. And Barnabas brought him in. Amen. Hmm. Barnabas laid a foundation in that church for Saul to come to. Pulling on this property, you see the buildings and the facilities and things here. That didn't come from seeds. People sacrificed to pay for that stuff. They committed themselves to years of faithfulness. But not just to build an edifice, but a place where kids can come and teenagers and young people and moms and dads and couples to have a place to hear the Word of God taught to them. Barnabases, they're all around you tonight. Barnabases who have laid a foundation for somebody in the future. That's how you build us. That's how you build a Paul. You lay a foundation, and someone else, other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Come on now, 50 years from now, most of us are not going to be here 50 years from now. But what will this place be? What will Victory Baptist Church be like 50 years from now? Say, well, they all change, you know, Pastor Johnson. This one doesn't have to. Mm, this one stay right. You got a good man of God here. This one stay right. Then you get behind that man of God. Stay right. Keep it right. Do right. Hey, but you understand it's not just so you have a place to sit in a pew. You understand it's because somebody's going to sit where you sit. There's somebody's going to be there one of these days, and they should be able to come to an independent, fundamental, soul when it's separated, King James Bible preaching, hellfire, damnation, premillennial, pre-tribulation, temperamental Baptist church. Because that was Barnabas. When he came to our church, his name is John Pelega. John Pelega was a, a twice, three, three or four times decorated Vietnam veteran. He was a point man over in the 60s in Vietnam. Made sergeant three times. I said, how'd you do that, Brother John? He said, well, kept getting in trouble. And you did that by, he said, well... If we had a lieutenant would wander, take us right into an ambush, we'd just make sure he wasn't around the next time we went out. I kept shooting the wrong people. I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> John Pelega was what you call Tad on the raw side. He showed up our first service. He showed up on a Wednesday night. We had a business meeting like y'all did a minute ago. And I said, all in favor, please say aye. Aye. All opposed, three guys. No! First time anyone ever voted against something in a business meeting in our church. John Pelega's a visitor. <laughs> service is over. He comes up. He goes, preacher man, enjoy the service. Preacher man, you got a problem with them boys over there? 
Those three guys, I'll get my boys to take care of it. I said, no, no, Brother John, it's okay. They, you know, everybody's got a right to speak their opinion, but give me your phone number just in case there's any problem. <laughs> Hey, 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 he wants, he comes with his, his girlfriend with him. He, they want to join our church, but they're living together. So they come and see me and they say, we want to join the church. What do we do? I said, well, are you married? No. I said, well, you got to split sheets. You got to, got to part that before you join. You know how many people I've said that to who are just that same condition driving a BMW? Huh? And they get their nose out of joint. They get up and walk out. Who are you to tell me how to live? You know what John Pelega did? He looked at Atlanta and he goes, you're out of here tonight. Now, he didn't put her on the street. He just got her a place, and then he got her. He, he, he split sheets that night. That, like a, that night. This is a raw dude. Now, I mean, I'm telling you, he was. <laughs> I ain't got time to tell you all the John Pelega stories. I'll throw in a few more this week. But honestly, he goes to visit a lady, came to our church, and uh, John Pelega was a, he's a jeweler. He built this ring for me. And he goes to visit this lady, and she had a cockatiel. And uh, while he's visiting her, I'm talking, talking with her and things. She said, well, he goes, hey, you got a cockatiel. I got one of those. She goes, yeah, I just got him, but I can't even hold him in my hand or anything. He just bites me. What do I do? John goes, I'll show you, lady. Here you go. Opens the cage, grabs the bird. He goes, now, look, lady, here's what you do. Put your finger up here like this, and when he bites you, you go, bump, 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 bump. You just flick him in the head. Watch. See, I'll show you. Bump, 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 bump. You keep doing that after a while, he'll quit. One more time, puts his finger up there. The bird bites him and gets in the cuticle of his finger. He goes, ah! And when he did, he popped the head off of a bird. The head's rolling around on the ground. Pelagia's holding the bird, and the bird, boink, boink, boink. And this poor lady's like, he goes, hold on, lady, hold on. He picks up the head, and he tries to screw it back on. Puts it on, you know, and it's backwards, so he turns it around. Like that. <laughs> Puts it in the cage, closes the door, says, sorry, lady, hope you come visit our church again. <laughs> she never came back. People are so sensitive. <laughs> but he did it with the right spirit. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he, he'd been sprayed with Agent Orange in Vietnam and eventually destroyed his interior, his liver, his kidneys. I did his funeral. I used to run with the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club. We had bikers and we had bankers at his funeral. And that night, we had bikers and we had bankers who got saved. Because a Barnabas got him into church. A Barnabas laid a foundation for somebody else. It ain't just about me and mine. One more real quickly. Then you get to Acts 13 and verse number 1. There's this list of people here. But when it gets down there to verse 2, and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, laid their hands on them, they sent them away. It was time for somebody to step up and step out. See, those, we know Barnabas in that list, but the rest of those guys, I don't know if I've ever heard, read, read their name again. But when it came time, Barnabas takes Saul and steps out. Now, look here. It wasn't this church hopping, get your nose out of joint with somebody and pop around every Baptist church within 10 miles of here. Right. Wasn't that kind of junk. Right. 
It was time for them to start their missionary work and get going, and it's Barnabas who takes Saul and they step out. Ladies and gentlemen, there are times if you're going to build a Paul, you got to step up and you got to step out. And that doesn't mean leave the church. It means step up and get in the choir. Step up and get in a Sunday school class. Step up and get on a bus route. Step up and stand in the foyer and greet people. Step up and help take an offering. Step up and work in a PA booth. Step up and go soul winning. Step up and become a part of what happens here. And step up and when it's time, you step out. And that doesn't mean quit anything. It means step out to something that could help people and win souls for Christ and reach people for Jesus Christ. We don't know what else these men did for Saul here. These men whose names we don't even, we never see them past verse number one, but I can tell you what, they had a big chunk of this man's life. Because when it was time, see, we want to step back. We want to step out. We want to step aside. Well, I've been doing this for years, and it's time for us. When I was in Bible college, our pastor would, uh, it was a huge church, and the pastor, for people to know about ministries on Sunday night, would have folks stand up. Okay, junior high boys. They had A, B, C, D, E, and F, and G, and H Sunday school. I mean, it was just thousands of people. So on um, A Sunday school, he said, I want all the, one Sunday night, he said, I want all the junior high boy Sunday school teachers to stand in A Sunday school. About 20 men stood up. And he said, brother so-and-so, he pointed at this one man. He said, brother so-and-so, how long have you been teaching junior boys Sunday school class? And I believe he said 40 years. Now I'm a Bible college student. I'm sitting next to a Bible college student. He leans over to me and he goes, you know, he needs to give that up. He's been teaching too long. I said, you stupid. I'm going to his class next week. The man's been teaching the Bible for 40 years. The junior hires. Insanity's hereditary. You get it from junior high boys. 40, 40 years. Huh? You know, that's probably the only recognition on planet Earth that guy ever got for teaching junior high boys for 40 years. But I guarantee you there's dozens, if not hundreds of boys who became men who looked back on that Sunday school class and learned something. Don't you understand? It's like we think, well, I couldn't teach a class because I haven't been to Bible college. I haven't had the training. Look, all you need is a little love of God and the word of God. Go sit in a class and learn from the teacher. And then when the day comes, you multiply by dividing your classes. You add some people to it. And you can influence a boy who doesn't know what a man really is. And just your presence will make a difference in his life. And the same is for ladies. The same is for these girls. The same is for people in our life. There's time for us, ladies and gentlemen. You all want to build a pole. You can't do it from a comfort zone. You can't do it from a back seat. You can't do it from the bleachers. You got to get down on the, tra- on the track. And you got to run your race that's set before you looking under Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. This amazing Christian was just Saul one day. Let's stand to our feet, please. See, missions work, people, when it comes right down to it, is a lot about manpower. Now, we'll give you some statistics and things about missionary work and all that over these next few days, but let's face it. Well, I don't see any Saul's around here, Pastor Johnson. You wouldn't have seen any, you wouldn't have seen him in the church at Antioch. Oh, and Saul. Who's that? That's that guy over there. Oh, that guy over there who, by the way, every person that touched this man's life that we know of was a layman. And the lay people of the church built one of the greatest missionaries who ever drew breath. 
Now you think about that for a moment. So you and I may not ever, may never go to a far corner of this earth, to the uttermost part of the earth, Acts 1.8. But what if we send a Rick Martin over there or a Hudson Taylor? What if we send one of them? What about these folks right here? What if we send them over there? 